This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. picture. Generally, in the coyote circles, there are a half a dozen people in the program. You have the person who gets the people together. You have them staged in Mexico. You have the guide in the desert. You have the pickup man. You have the collection man. I was trying to do a lot of it all by myself, but it was just too much. So I had Tim, who was available, and so I proposed it to him. And I drove down, I saw what he was doing and how it was working, and I said, yeah, I can do this. The year was 1998, when Eldon Kidd and Tim Burson reunited to run people illegally from Mexico into the United States. Operation Gatekeeper's influence was growing, and the number of Border Patrol agents along the U.S.-Mexico border continued to rise, as did the number of border apprehensions, both of migrants and the coyotes who were crossing them. This meant Eldon and Tim were facing a tsunami of resistance. Yet this didn't phase them. The impetuous pair dove in headfirst. Their first scheme utilized the desolate back roads of Texas, outside the border towns, where it was still possible to drive across undetected. Knowing the now beefed-up Border Patrol would probably be aware of their presence, Eldon and Tim devised ways to throw the authorities off their trail. So we would go to Midland and us that we'd, we'd get vans, preferably new vans, at that time, you could go get an ID from Western Union. You could be Donald Duck. They didn't care. You paid 20 bucks, you got an ID. And we had an old crappy van that we would drive with all the equipment, and that was like the decoy van. So I had an old van and tried to make it as bandito as possible. I had decorated hanging balls on the windshield, like a Cheech and Chon movie. And I had sombrero on the dashboard. And I'm looking like this is definitely a smuggler's van. And he would take the people out in the nice van and I'd drive the bandito van. If Tim and Eldon were spotted during these high-speed crossings, the Border Patrol agents would have a choice. Pursue the pristine, respectable-looking tour van or the beat-up bandito van that looked like it was made for illegal crossings. If I saw an immigration patrol, I would just turn down and raise some clouds of dust with the Mexican music blasting. And of course, they're gonna get me. That way, Tim could just keep going. This real-life Smokey and the Bandit scheme was brazen and risky, but the plan worked over and over again. And it wasn't their only scheme, of course. The growing threat of the Border Patrol meant Eldon and Tim had to constantly change things up. But the price per crossing had also risen, nearly quadrupling since the early 90s. 
and there was no shortage of new customers. We had a money-back guarantee. We never really lost anybody, never anybody got seriously hurt. I never had to put a Band-Aid on anybody, really. We just looked out for people, gave them a heads up, and we saw the inherent danger in it. And to me, it was a calculated risk and it was a worthwhile danger. This is American Coyote. I'm your host, Andrea Lopez Villafaña. In our eighth episode, Eldon Kidd has shaken off the rust and once again refined his skills as a coyote, developing new and riskier schemes with his partner in crime. By the final years of the 20th century, Eldon and Tim's operations were running like clockwork. It got to the point that successfully transporting a small group across the border was just another day at the office. But for those who crossed, the experience of coming to America with Eldon to start a new life is still etched into their memories. My name is Efren. I crossed with Eldon when I was 17 years old. Efrain was one of Eldon's clients during this time. And while his interview was conducted in Spanish, we've translated his answers into English for the sake of the podcast. I wanted to come here for financial reasons, to work in the United States, to raise a family. His goal was to start a new life for himself and make enough money to help his family back home. Like many Mexicans who grew up in poverty, Efrain saw America as his only option to break the cycle. So he was determined to get across. I had already tried to enter the United States once, but couldn't. The experience of the first trip was to enter with a false green card. I was a minor, and they left me locked up all night, and that's where I was scared. And then they threw me back, and that's where I met Eldon. Eldon agreed to cross Efrain, along with a few members of his family, including Efrain's cousin, who was eight months pregnant at the time. The plan was to drive from Tijuana to a campground near Sonoita on the border. Once they were across, Eldon would hand the group off to Tim, who would take them the rest of the way. The trip from Tijuana to Sonoita is over 400 miles. We would drive over La Rumorosa, which is named for the wind that blows through the rocks, and Rumorosa means whispering or rumors. Then down through Mexicali, crossing over through San Luis Rio Colorado, and then ending up into Sonoita. On the night of the crossing, Efrain and the other members of his family were understandably nervous. Well, it was strange for a guero to cross us, an American. I did not believe that he could do the job of crossing people to the United States. But he is a man of respect. And the feeling when you were going to cross in the United States with him was that you were safe. The fear was that we would run out of gasoline or my cousin would give birth. So I came with a lot of nerves that they would catch us again. After the long drive to Sonoita, Eldon and the group hid at a hotel near the campsite. 
as they waited for immigration patrols to pass. He put us in a house there to rest, to let us calm down, to make sure there was no immigration or inspection. Hey, vámonos. They entered the campground, and 20 minutes later, rendezvoused with Tim, who was waiting with hot food and fresh clothes. He walked us, and now, well, the fear was gone. And we tried hamburgers for the first time that day. Today, Efrain lives in Southern California with his wife and two daughters. He has a steady job that brings in enough money for him to take care of his own family and his mother back in Mexico. Mom is proud of me for taking care of her. I bought her a house with land, and I've made her financially stable. Eldon is a friend who I respect a lot. If not for him, I would not have raised a family here. In Mexico, I would not have been able to do anything I did here in the United States. I am happy to be in America. A month after Eldon helped Efrain cross into the United States, his cousin gave birth to a baby boy. And the name she chose? Flavio Eldon. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Efrain's story is just one of many about Eldon transporting people of all ages safely across the border. In a short amount of time, his stellar reputation ascended into almost mythical status. The gentle giant Guero Coyote with the creative crossing schemes, who survived the worst prison in Mexico, who transports children for free, who cleans and clothes his clients once they have completed their journey. Soon, Eldon's story became living folklore. Eldon's legend solidified itself in the immigrant community, the business partnership between Tim and Eldon fell back into its groove. 
they worked well together, with Eldon taking the lead and Tim always willing to take the risk for his friend. And a sizable cut, of course. He's just an amazing person. I don't really know anyone that's as multifaceted or interesting or has an interest in things as much as him. Most people just go day to day, same old, same old, and, and he doesn't. Being partners in people smuggling also meant they spent a lot of downtime together. And it was in those quiet moments, on a long drive or camping under the stars, that their friendship really flourished. We've talked for thousands and thousands and thousands of miles. We've driven to Guatemala twice together. We've driven across the country to Canada, and we've talked the whole time. There's, there's really not a, a moment of silence. We, once we just go, 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 go. He's always got something interesting to say and talk about. But like I say, I've done a lot of psychedelics. He's done none, you know? So, so it's a different way of looking at the world and the, the planet and the cosmos, and we seem to mesh pretty well together. Most of the crossings they did together involved Eldon making the journey with Tim providing a safe pickup once he and their clientele were across. But the crossings were getting more difficult as the border became harder and harder to traverse. On the Tijuana border where it's impenetrable now by double layers of 20-foot fence, I was taking a group down the hill and they caught me there. So in my mind, I, I, I felt like uh, I've got to survive this somehow. And I just pretended to have some kind of a heart condition. So they had to carry me up about a 9% grade up the mountain. And they were huffing and puffing and I was supposedly passed out and they were gonna take their prize back to headquarters. When they got to the very top of the hill, I revived and ran all the way back down. They were too tired to pursue. A few months later, on a solo crossing from Los Algodones in Mexico to Arizona, Eldon would again run into authorities. I would leave someone in Algodones. I would ride in on a motorcycle with a mannequin dressed in motorcycle clothes. Oh, it looks like some guys are driving into Mexico to, on a taco run, which was common. Go along the, the canal. So I go in, the dummy stays in the hotel, switch out the clothes. Jose comes with me. But Eldon used this scheme one too many times. The Border Patrol in Arizona caught on. And this time, he couldn't trick his way out of it. They got wise to that and stopped me with the mannequin. Well, I said, well, it's just a hobby that I have. You know, everybody's got their fetish, right? And I was arrested for it. So I had to go to jail for almost two weeks there while they were trying to see 
what can we do with this guy? You know, how, how illegal is it to ride around with a mannequin? <laughs> During these years of coyote work, there are numerous stories of Eldon outsmarting authorities or almost being apprehended that all tend to illustrate the same thing. Getting caught had become inevitable. It was no longer if, but when. And the odds were that one day he would be arrested and locked up for good. Not only did this fact weigh on Eldon, but on his relationships back home too. Here's Eldon's youngest daughter, Tammy. We were more worried about my dad, that he would get caught or in jail or, or hurt along the way. You know, he had to do some pretty, pretty gnarly things to get across. It wasn't our choice to have him do illegal things, but I don't think you tell my dad what to do. So <laughs> the, the thought of telling him, please stop, that wouldn't happen. There would be times where we'd be like, you know, just stay, just stay home, stay with us. And it would be like, I'm bringing families together. It's, it's okay. And I'm, you know, I'm better at it than anybody. So I'll be back. Managing family in his career as a coyote was a constant balancing act for Eldon. And while he was nearly perfect in his people smuggling operations, his job as a father had repeated shortcomings, often leaving his wife Janice to pick up the slack. Eldon's son Nathan remembers this as an ongoing issue between his parents. Um, they've always had a stressed relationship as far as I can manage. Um, like I said, there was never any fighting that I can remember. I think they, my mother always adored my father. Um, my father always, you know, was very kind and cordial to my mother, but, you know, slightly just through his lifestyle, you know, was a source of a lot of pain and discomfort for her as well. Today, even Eldon recognizes the sacrifices Janice made in service of his career. Well, Janice um, could certainly be summed up as long-suffering. She would just do whatever I would ask her to do, pretty much without question. She was a complete support and the one that held the household together and really made almost no demands on my time or activities. And I'm grateful for it. But despite the seemingly inevitable conclusion of Eldon's lawbreaking, he simply could not stop. His draw to the coyote life was about more than money, more than adventure. It was a calling, something innate, something spiritual. And any time he toyed with the idea of walking away, a new opportunity, a new creative crossing scheme, a new adventure would always pull him back. This was never more apparent than after his brief incarceration in Arizona, when he was asked to transport his most fragile client yet. I remember a particular trip that I was doing for blessings. The baby was probably seven months old. I thought, this is karma. This is gonna help me. I'm not gonna make any money, but what a great adventure. And so it was that the gentle giant Eldon Kid found himself transporting an infant 
through the mountains outside of Tijuana and into the United States. The grandmother left the baby with me in Tijuana and the parents were already here. I don't walk fast for a lot of reasons. You, know, you have to be quiet. You have to look ahead before you go ahead and wait and see if there's movement. Of course, everybody's got to eat and I had those cool little heat em up packs and I tested the, the milk on my wrist, feels okay. Just feeding the baby there and it was kind of surreal. And the incredible thing is they never cried on the trips. They would just look at me, probably never have seen a big white guy before, and you'd expect that they would just break into terror screams, and they didn't. They were just quiet the whole time. But about halfway through the journey, the unlikely pair came upon another smuggler. And with his fragile cargo in tow, this encounter was enough to make even a battle-tested coyote like Elden nervous. There was someone hiding behind a rock. I didn't bring my gun at that trip, and I was really, really nervous about it. alone, and transporting an infant through the desert across the U.S.-Mexico border, Eldon encountered another smuggler. There was someone hiding behind a rock. I didn't bring my gun at that trip, and I was really, really nervous about it. And then suddenly, I felt a bubble of protection around me and the child, and it made me feel invincible. And I'm not trying to be like a spacey hippie kind of guy, but it was a wonderful feeling that was almost, you know, I mean, euphoric. I walked right by, I didn't even look behind the rock, I just knew I would be okay. It quelled my sense of doing the wrong thing, almost like an atonement well, you brought this guy, you brought him for money, and you're a dirty rat. But if I bring over a child, it's like, okay, well, now that sin is erased by this penance. You're supposed to be this, like, big danger hero guy, and you're out there with a baby bottle. Eldon had avoided danger on that particular crossing, but it was undoubtedly becoming a regular part of his job much more so than in the early years, before Almoloya de Juarez. Still, he forged ahead, continuing to cross. But danger isn't always something you find hidden behind rocks in the desert or in the walls of a motorhome. Sometimes, danger finds you. And soon, Elton found himself in a situation that marked a significant escalation for this otherwise unshakable coyote. At the time that I was crossing Chinese, many people were coming in in container ships. 
they would be strategically located in the pile and given enough water and buckets for toilets. And that's how they were primarily coming in at the time. The way that I got connected with the Chinese was their Mexican workers in the kitchens were coming and going. So the bosses asked them, how is this done? So my name was passed to the Chinese. And the Chinese bosses, they're called snakeheads, which means the head of the organization. And those men are uh, pretty unscrupulous and, and dangerous. And there was one occasion when they were having an impasse with a Mexican smuggler who had brought some Chinese in a truck and they were in a warehouse and I guess the price changed. They wanted me to go and try to uh, work on the, the language barrier. Um, I was asked to be an interpreter between the Chinese and the smuggler. There were three Mexicans. They were the truck drivers and the orchestrators. They were in a warehouse in Long Beach. The Chinese citizens were in a storeroom on the side and I could see them through glass that was wire infused. And the Mexicans were telling me that they were promised more money and the Chinese bosses, they were not paying any more money. It just seemed like uh, the classical Mexican standoff and both of them were very adamant and nobody seemed to be budging. I advised the Mexicans to take whatever they were going to give them, even if it was a dollar, because they are armed and they're dangerous and they're committed and you're in a warehouse and nobody knows you're here. And uh, they have containers going back and forth to China pretty much every week and you'll probably be in one. Sometimes people would rather just grab their shirt, tear it open and show their chest as a, a sign of machismo, but it doesn't always work out. And there was some shouting and repositioning of the Chinese to cover all angles. And I thought this will be a crossfire. As things escalated, I got quite nervous. I just told the Chinese that there was nothing more that I could do. So I walked away. And I'm afraid that that turned out really bad for the Mexicans. In this moment, Eldon had reached his limit. He tempted fate one too many times. And he'd come awfully close to losing it all. His career, his family, his life. From this point forward, he'd stick to crossings only, the tried and true methods. And he'd have Tim along every time to help. And for the next year, Tim and Eldon made a killing. We were very successful at passing the people. We never really felt like there was anyone watching us or looking for us or, uh, or any of that kind of thing. And we had a pretty good system. So usually he would go ahead of me and there was border patrol all the way. 
So we'd have to go, we'd have to wait. Maybe sometimes we'd have to wait the whole day until we figured we were safe. And then when it was clear, we'd pass them through. But we never got caught until the last time. Next time on American Coyote, the danger along the border intensifies. So at like three in the morning, there's a flash coming from the little hole in the fence. It's automatic weapon fire, and it's landing like right next to my driver's side door and ricocheting off the rocks next to me. And it's the end of the line for Tim and Eldon. As we left the motel and got on the, the Highway 10, we were surrounded by higher patrol, undercover cars. I mean, there was a lot of cars there. I would say maybe a dozen cop cars at that time. As both men faced the possibility of a lifetime behind bars. That was Tim's first two weeks in jail. And he was absolutely terrified and intimidated. If you would like to learn more about how to help with the immigration crisis along the U.S.-Mexico border, check out organizations like Texas Civil Rights Project at txcivilrights.org, Border Angels at borderangels.org, Young Center for Immigrant Children's Rights at theyoungcenter.org, or Raices at raicestexas.org, R-A-I-C-E-S texas.org. American Coyote is created, written, and produced by Joshua Schaefer and Eli Chorus of Pegalo Pictures. Executive produced by Jason Hoke and produced by Andrew Richards of Imperative Entertainment. And produced by Alvin Cowan. Original music for the series is composed by Joshua Klebe. The original corrido, The Ballad of Elden Kid, written and performed by Daniel Schaefer and Los Two Guys out of Austin, Texas. Assistant editing by Max Drankpole. Sound recording by Nick Sinakis and Matt Stouter. Additional voice recording by Luis Jimenez. Sound editing by Joshua Schaefer and Nick Sinakis. Sound design and sound mixing by Craig Platty. Poster design and graphics by Jeff Quinn. Production legal by Sean Fawcett of Raymond Legal PC and Davis Wright Tremaine, LLP. Post record by Deborah Reeves and Signature Sound in San Diego, California. Please subscribe, download, and share these episodes and follow us on social media for extra content and updates. I'm your host, Andrea Lopez Villafaña. Thanks again for listening.